0: Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and our guest for this month is the Artistic Director of the Cherry Arts, a new theater company in Ithaca, New York, and his name is Sam Bagellan. Uh, In New York City, Sam works on new plays at the Lark Play Development Center and is a longtime artistic associate with the OB-winning New Ohio Theater. He translates Moliere, Marivaux, and has taught in theater departments across the country. He is also the New York based artistic associate for the Portland Stage in Maine and he's worked uh, locally at the Kitchen Theater, the Capitol Rep in Albany, Mason Street Warehouse in Michigan and the Stage Works. Uh, believe me there's way more to our guests than that and you can find all of his professional information at his website www.bagellin that's B-U-G-G-E-L-N.net. We figured we'd start off with uh, What actually brought this well-seasoned theater person to little old Ithaca? We are now in Ithaca, New York. I am. Which has a, has had up until now, uh, well, it still does have, obviously, a uh, thriving theater scene. We are kind of like the little mecca for, you know, theater. We've got a couple of major uh, theaters. We've got a whole bunch of little minor ones, yeah, and um. So you're coming in with yeah. the cherry art space um, again on the other side of this I you know it's you talk to people in the business or you talk to other people and say, "Oh, theater is dying we can't get anybody into it you know and, and and yet I'm constantly seeing full or near to full houses so yeah. the question is I
1: have never you know what Oh, I'm sorry.
0: No, 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 no. Go uh, for
1: it, go for it. I, I've, I have never bought The Theater is Dying. In fact, someone just posted a, like, Guardian thing saying, like, literally today saying, oh, The theater's die." It was The headline was The Economic Business Model of the Arts is Broken. And I was like, I was relieved because I felt like I didn't have to read it because there's so much wrong with the headline already. It's not a business model. It's an arts model. And it was never fixed you know <laughs> art exactly, was always yeah. crazy hard to make and figure out and only possible through like scrambling and scrabbling and deals with the devil and uh and it's always been that way and it'll never not be that way and um and i think by the same token this thing of like oh audiences in some kinds of theaters are very old therefore theater is dying is like man Theater has been around for thousands and thousands of years, and it takes a lot more than some unimaginative programming on the part of big regional
0: theaters. Right, and it's been dying for thousands of years. I think it was Aristotle or or Aristophanes, one of the Greeks, made some comment about theater has no future. Or it's, you know, how do we get people into the amphitheater to hear, you know, the flies or something like that? But Mm -hmm. um, it's, is is this a, a weird sort of. Sadomasochistic urge for producers to go out there and start begging for things or looking for free stuff to just to get a show up? Is sure. that part of the thrill?
1: Maybe, maybe. I mean, certainly, you know, we all need to find free things and <laughs> get people to like throw in their time, energy out of the passion of it and all that. I don't, I mean, I think personally, the like plea to this is going to be extremely exciting is going to be more effective than the plea to like, we're all going to die, like the guilt plea, (laughs) but Mm. maybe it works. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I've never had like a theater or a project with a big budget that was my responsibility. So I was in a position to turn to people and say, I need a ton of money right now or the, season's going to be canceled but you know anything could happen i guess that's
0: true i I think people have more of a sympathetic spot for theater and the arts than they're actually willing to let on um i think so so with with that in mind the fact that yeah we have no money and yeah we need to go find it and all that (laughs) sort of thing you are actually building a theater in ithaca you're not just you're well, not just walking in like the rest of us, going, "Oh, I've got a, I've got a theater company here, and we're going to do you know whatever." No, you're actually putting in a whole building. <laughs>
1: What's with that? Well, we had a we had a little windfall, and um, and rather than investing it in our retirement or anything sane like that, we had this when you idea. Say wait, and um, who are you referring to? Uh we as my husband and I uh and uh and uh, you know I even asked my uh accountant dad about it who is a, a guy who specializes in, you know, accounts for doing uh, doing uh finances for artists and um he said, Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And I was like
0: you Okay, first you're tired. You building a theater was a good <laughs> idea. I was like, Is he obviously in jail now fired. or what?
1: <laughs> totally. um, but uh, it made me think, you know, he was like, that's what, that's what, you know, if you get a windfall, that's what it should be for to like, something that you would love to do. Um, uh, so, so that's what we're doing. And the other thing I can say is, like, we're not so much to be picky, a we're not so much building a theater theater we're building a space that can be a lot of different things and that's part of the artistic vision that it it can be a theater it can also be a place where you can have a concerts with dancing and a band it's a place where you can have um, exhibitions of visual arts um, and so that kind of flexibility is exciting for me as a theater creator but also as I as I envision myself, as I imagine myself as a person running an art space, um, I think—I mean—I think part of what can make theater feel more exciting than maybe it does to the people who are worried that it's going to die is that it really cross-pollinate with other kinds of arts that mm, other s- populations feel are exciting. Like, so it's I don't a know, theater space. Exactly, exactly. A multidisciplinary art space. It came from, that term came from, I was literally registering the not-for-profit over a year ago with the IRS and scanning their sort of numerical codes to see what we were. And the not-for-profit is a theater company, but right under theater company was multidisciplinary space. And I was like, oh, well, that's what we can be. That's what the space should be, obviously, if the IRS thinks of the thing, then, mm-hmm.
0: you know. The IRS has given you their imprimatur to, you know, to do this. That,
1: we're still their artistic inspiration.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, so
1: that,
0: thats an admission you won't get out of many artists. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, you operate out of Brooklyn. You operate out of Portland stage. Both of which, we're, you know, we'll, we'll get to in in a minute, um, or later on, but why ithaca because this building that you're bringing in and the programming that you're bringing in also which we we'll, which we'll talk about um, i think all theater is a gift yeah. and if you're going to sit there and uh, and produce something and bring it to the audience i think you are giving us the public a true gift but this whole multi art space adds a whole new level to it so I hope so. Why is Ithaca the beneficiary of this cultural largesse?
1: Well, I think, I mean, I think it's a great, I think it's a great place for it. I think we, um, it's, uh, within Ithaca, it's not a terrifically huge population, but it's a terrifically sophisticated one. And, um, there isn't a space exactly like that here now. Um, and, um, uh, and I mean, also, I mean, the, honestly, there are you no know, personal reasons, which is that my husband teaches at Cornell, and um, we have been doing the commuting thing for many, many years, and uh, and so I've just come to love Ithaca as a place to be, as a place to create, and I started to meet people here who uh, I loved and whose work I loved and who I wanted to collaborate with people who are based here. And um, so more and more, you know, and the longer you live in New York as a full-time freelance theater director. And the older you get, the, the more, the, (laughs) what's that? There's some, I'm sure there's some economic term, the lower, the, 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 Return on investment becomes for the amount of stress of living in the city and the feeling of the rat race and the ladder and all of the badness of it. Yeah, all, the game is not worth the candle.
0: Supposedly, yeah.
1: the game's not worth the candle. Exactly. Increasingly, the and and also and also the 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 ways in which it's framed as a game become more and more transparently noxious. Right. Like, um, uh, the, the, I mean, even in you know in new york i find even working downtown versus in the musical theater community for example you can immediately tell that where just in the ways people have conversations that there's no money at stake downtown there's nobody's going to get rich but in musical theater you might get rich and suddenly the whole room changes and i love musicals i mean some uh, I you know
0: <laughs> let's not overstate that. but uh, Let's I, <laughs> not. Yes.
1: But <laughs> but I, I have but I grew up I grew up loving musicals. Let's say that I have high hopes for the idea of a theater with music that is extremely exciting and stimulating. And well, on um, the same
0: page. I grew up with uh, musicals also. Okay. Yeah, that was my first have... exposure to theater, and my grandmother just kept throwing you know musical theater records at me, and it's it. it became you know uh, so yeah it's there was uh, my entry into the into the business also
1: yeah and I and I and um uh but I and I was I guess I would say I was um disappointed in the in the culture around sort of commercial musical theater making um that I found in New York and I think that um mo- I mean I oh got I'm this podcast is just gonna be saying all sorts of impolitic things. But um I feel like mo- most uh well achieved musical theater making in New York um had its eye on uh finan- on, on 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 financial success. And um and that really changes the tenor of the Work of the ways that work happens and all of that, and um,
0: well, musical theater it, is notoriously more expensive to produce than quote straight theater unquote. Totally, uh,
1: and there's a and there's a much bigger upside. Like people become millionaires off mm-hmm. of musicals, and nobody becomes a millionaire off of a straight play. Right, um, the buses
0: but, from Nebraska do not stop in front of <laughs> you know a, a view from the bridge, but they will go across the street to what Spamalot. Right, right. I mean, maybe
1: that's, maybe some, maybe some, maybe good Evo Van Hove became a millionaire off of The View from the Bridge. I hope he did, because I thought that was amazing. Um, Although, I mean, I saw it on, uh, at Cinemopolis on the uh, live stream um, from the, from the London production, and I thought, and I, you know, have been a fan of his for a long, long time. Uh, But so maybe there are some exceptions. But uh, anyway, I, 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 the the decision to be in Ithaca was about I mean just how happy I am here as a creative person and uh, and how uh, I felt surrounded by other terrifically creative people uh, and there seemed like a lot of opportunities to collaborate and to make <clears throat> and to make the kinds of things that I was uh, that I would love to be making without the kinds of pressures. Um, of doing it in New York, when God, it's just so hard to mm-hmm. to you, you know you spend eh, I don't know probably and I think I'll find this I'll find that the the balance of making the work and making the work happen and get seen
0: is equally tough,
1: but it. But I have more. I have more options here. I'll say it feels no, there, like there are
0: definitely more options here. I mean, it, it's. I've been producing in Ithaca for a number of years. I find I'm my own boss. Yeah. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and yeah. oddly enough, even with the two big theaters and Cornell, which has an outstanding mm-hmm. theater program, uh, before I got cut, and <laughs> um, still does. And Ithaca College, which is known for its outstanding theater program also. Mm-hmm. The independent yeah. producers don't – we all work together somehow. and We all manage to get good houses. Yeah. Because I think we're all doing something different.
1: Yes. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think there's something like um, at a certain point uh, – well, one thing um, – That happened to me was that I, I mean, I went from doing the New York downtown thing and getting very, um, oh, just, uh, burned out. This is now going back many years on not getting paid and all and not having budgets and always self-producing and always hustling. And I decided to really make a push to get into regional theater work, uh, And so then that happened for a time and it was really, really great. And I was and it really scratched the itch of getting paid to go to a place and direct a nice show in a theater, you know, in about hanger size theater that is uh, where somebody else is paying the bills and you just do the job like that. I can't say I didn't really love that and don't, you know, right. that I, I, I think that's sort of part of my, it's de-emphasized cause I'm working so much on cherry stuff, but you, right. then you, absolutely give up creative control to an extent like you can I mean I've had you know a lot of good fortune I think with some good artistic directors who are interested in my cockamamie notions of how to do a play like God of Carnage or Brighton Beach Memoirs but at the same time I'm still gonna I'm still gonna be finding a play in a season that was picked by someone else for you know their for the voice of that company and the desires of that audience. Um, And it's not the same as finding a play and really loving it or Mm. getting an idea and wanting to do it. And um, so it seemed like after maybe a decade of really being focused on regional theater um, contracts, it was, it it was ready. I was ready in a lot of ways to just, yeah, I mean, just exactly what you just said to be my own boss, to make, But it's it's
0: a lot more work. It is. I mean, if if you're working for, quote, somebody else, and you're working with their season, they will say, you know, uh, Sam, I'd like you to direct X. As opposed to looking in the mirror and going, I've always wanted to do Mm -hmm. the, I don't know, the nude version of Arcadia. (laughs) Or Whatever. Right, um, right, but then you have to go out and convince people or get the money or get the thing and do all the work that everybody else has done, where you used to sit there and go, well, let's see who can I cast and I can do this thing and the other thing. It's a completely different animal totally
1: and but so what so what I think is telling is that you when you said it's a lot more work and then you described the moment of looking in the mirror and going, hmm, what's the way that I can find my way to being excited about directing?" this play, which is so much like a number of other plays that I've already directed, I, uh-huh. I started to think, oh, that's what you're talking about. You're saying it's a lot more work to get excited. Well, that uh, too, yeah. Because it because actually, it's. I think, I mean, who knows? At this point in my artistic evolution, it feels like less work to do the making the thing happen, especially if it's not in New York City, than it, than it was to get excited about a play that's you know that i'm going to do that's not very different from right the last play i did um
0: so so, let's so let's work with this segue because it's really perfect right now um talking about cherry arts the material you're going to bring in the material you've already done the material you're already that you're planning to do i mean you've already done um white rabbit red rabbit uh Mm -hmm. by nasim soleiman poor um, you've done a cherry time dive. And I love the description of this, but I really want you to get into <laughs> talking about this. An open-air theater origami flower.
1: Oh, a wow. A
0: and mysterious plunge into the histories of one storied corner of Ithaca, New York. And full disclosure, and I'm totally ashamed of myself. I couldn't get around to see it, so I'm slapping myself right here. Um, <laughs> That's all right. It was only one weekend, so. Uh, so. Uh, no, I, I really wanted to go, especially since Wendy Dan and Saviana Stanescu, both yeah. previous guests on on stage, off stage, were part of the creation. So, what are you bringing to Ithaca, and what's going to happen? Why Why is Cherry going to be <laughs> different than everybody else?
1: Well. Um, I was I loved hearing that um I forgot that uh that's that's just about a year ago um the Terry time dive and uh uh I was like oh that's some good copy we wrote I forgot about that origami flower I mean uh so the the the, the three sort of thrusts that we're saying are uh by and large the things that when we looked at the way regional theaters across the United States generally get programmed things that generally get de-emphasized, which is like theater that is super local with a real sense of place. So that time dive and now um uh storm country that we're working on right now are really literally about Ithaca, written by people who live in Ithaca, about the neighborhoods and histories of Ithaca, which is a thing that theater can do that film can't do, television can't do. I mean, you could make an argument that some small film can, but um but you're not seeing a lot of it. And I would be really in favor of that, of more of that sort of film happening too. Um, so the, so the super local in that sense then, um, and then international stuff. So, um, notwithstanding Yasmina Reza, there, there's basically very little, um, theater in the United States produced from, uh, playwrights in other countries. And, I was fortunate to spend about six months in Argentina, now three years ago, um, just looking at – because my husband, Nick, had a sabbatical leave. You have a blog about that, don't you? Yes, that's right. Anyone can go and look at my impressions. Um, uh, I don't don't know what it is – what the website is anymore. I never even finished it. I feel bad. But the – it was – uh, it was a really eye-opening moment and it really came at a moment that I knew I needed to blow my mind and I didn't know how it would work, but I knew that it needed to happen. Um, and it turns out that the main impression I got was, wow, there is so much that you can put on a stage because Buenos Aires is a, a theater town, the size of New York. There are like 400 theaters from the sublime to the ridiculous. Everyone goes to the theater all the time. Um, and, uh, there is so much you can put on a stage and frankly sell to a middle-class audience without, you know, that aren't like crazy downtown New York hipsters uh, compared to what we typically put on stages in the U S especially outside of downtowns of big cities. Um, And, and we're, and we're limiting ourselves in so many ways. Um, Because we, because most of our professional theaters IMO produce um within a within a a box of what we consider to be possible. Yeah. And and it's an invisible box. Like it's a box whose walls are glass and we don't know that we're in it. Like that's the that's the really I think startling thing for me is that as soon as you I went into places, non-English speaking places with really evolved theater scenes it was like oh my god why why weren't we not told that all this is possible (laughs) Um, so or how did we forget so the time dive was inspired uh, like on a formal level by this argentine creator mariano pensotti and he he has plays a tour all over the world and um his general his general method is that he has a small ensemble of actors and he tells a number of stories simultaneously um and there's always in every story there are a certain there's one narrator who's talks on a microphone and and is like right there in the story with everyone else just narrating while the other people do their live acting thing and then a scene ends and the microphone passes and someone else becomes the narrator and the other three people become the characters. And it just cycles through how many stories this way. It's just a lovely style. And I thought, well, what would we thought, you know, we have wonderful writers so that we want to work with how, how would it work to have four different writers, um, write stories. And we aside, we, we say, here's the cast and this person is your narrator and this person is your protagonist. And then these two people play supporting roles. Um, And we give four writers that task and then we weave them together, hence the origami flower. And, um, and let's say we do it outside and let's say we do it, um, on a set of prompts about the history of that place, which is kind of interesting. The West end of Ithaca is much storied and has had all of this crazy event in its history. So, um, so that was so, so that was kind of for me the perfect Mick. In fact, of the three thrusts, the third I didn't say, which is anything th- that we consider formerly innovative, anything like outside of that box we are talking about, sure. um, is uh, is fair game for us. So, so in a sense, the time dive was super local, and that it's Ithaca writers writing about a neighborhood. If for a play that will happen in that neighborhood, um, and also uh, international in the sense that I had like plucked a sort of technique from an international writer who's doing something very interesting and then innovative, just in that his his structures I, I think are unusual and innovative. So, so that was that that was a funny way in which it felt like time dive um, encapsulated the kinds of things we want to do and it was um i mean it was a blast it was the only i mean talk about getting outside of your assumptions it was the only show i've ever done that had in which tech and the run of the show every performance involved a car boat and a bicycle um you know (laughs) that was new um the um, safe to
0: say he would step uh, out of your comfort zone this exactly. <laughs> exactly and um, well, well, yeah uh, um, let me ask you this then uh, it's you spent so much time in um, Buenos Aires mm-hmm. and I don't I want to get into what your theater history is anyway and your background um, but I want to get into it because here you are putting all the stuff that you say puts you out of your comfort zone um, and in U.S. theater, we're pretty much still within our comfort zone. You can look at almost any marquee or any ad and see something that you're going to um, relate to something culturally close to you, Mm
1: -hmm. whether it's
0: urban, whether it's uh, non-urban, that sort of thing. Um, And we pretty much stay within that. Now, spending all those weeks in Buenos Aires and becoming exposed to... Writers, playwrights, artists of other cultures, and I know half the people out there are going to say, "But the themes are the same." <laughs> um, well, what's, how, how? How?
1: I mean, I would say one thing I realize is that yes, there's a ton of there's a ton of possibility out there that we're not exploiting, but it's also very hard. Like I saw so many, I saw so many plays there that, where I was really aware this is a this is a great. Play in Buenos Aires, and it would not be a great play in the United States. Um, just Why because, not? um, because it's actually not very universal. Because um, things like, like tone is very, and and what, what I mean, there. Gosh, George, there's so many metrics on which, like, even the fact that one of the very most popular um, playwrights there. Uh, named Santiago Losa, who are doing two of his plays this season. Um, first time he'll be produced in English. Um, he's, he's huge in South America and uh, increasingly large in Europe too. Uh, he writes plays that are about 45 or 50 minutes long. And that's, that's, a, that's a sort of typical, a not a typical length for a play in the Buenos Aires off world. Um, it just is about... How, do, how does an audience organize their evening? Um, like there, you go to a play often at 9 p.m., you're finished by 10 p.m., you have dinner, you go home. Um, or, or you go out for drinks afterwards. Um, and here, we have a different feeling. It's And it's a purely economic feeling or, or cultural rhythms feeling that uh, a piece of theater needs to be an hour and 20 minutes with no intermission or a, a real piece of theater is two hours with an intermission. Um, there's a little, real
0: piece of theater.
1: Well, there's a, I don't know, maybe I'm underestimating people's, um, feeling about what counts.
0: Um, I'm, I'm worried about their attention span is what I'm Well, That's about. true. That's true. That's the flip side.
1: Um, but, um, I did find when I was pitching these plays in New York that people's, Feelings were like, oh, this is a great story. I can see – like I think Losa is one of the writers whose stories really, really will work beautifully in English in North America. Um, but uh, but people's concern was like, I just don't know what you do with a 45-minute play. There's no there's no there there. So in fact, we're doing two plays as a double bill, which mm-hmm. is like old school. You can do that. Um But, you know, it's interesting that we have to, in that way, kind of, at least we feel like, and maybe I'm being part of the problem and that we're doing it, um, you know, shoehorn a different theatrical form, even just as simple as that, even just as simple as this is the length of a play here and a play is different, uh, you know, has a different length, a full length, quote, unquote, play has a different length here, but... There are so, and so that's just as simple as that. But, boy, you get into what is funny and what's not funny and what is um, what we take seriously and what we don't take seriously. Um, and, and simply the fact that, as discussed, great theater is often very local. So, um, you know, forget about anything that's super political about local politics, mm-hmm. but even, even South American politics, because I really do believe in – I really want the theater we make to be legitimately super exciting from jump. It's not. It shouldn't. It, it's not that we're doing international theater in some mm-hmm. academic way. You have to read pages of notes to understand what it's doing, and then you go, Oh yes, right, I, right. I see. It's doing that. You know. It really. It really. I really.
0: It's how much work the audience thinks they have to do? I guess in a sense, yeah. how much you think that the audience is going to have to work. I remember White Rabbit, Red Rabbit being definitely out of my immediate <laughs> comprehension, uh, notwithstanding the gimmick of, of just giving the actor the script right then and seeing how mm-hmm. good of a cold reader they are. Um, <laughs> but managing to get across concepts, a lot of which were arbitrary and um, Oh, I don't know, uh, uh, unrealistic and asking Hmm. the audience to run with you Hmm. and comprehend because I think that's probably – that's one of the things we ask all audiences to do is please understand what I'm telling you. Um, And I found myself at at the same time both awed by the chances uh, that the playwright took. Yeah, and marveling at the way I'm. Try- I'm. I'm thinking. You know, at half the time I'm thinking this is Animal House. This is Orwell's Animal House. Is using animals to uh, convey you know uh, uh, humanistic messages and that sort of thing. But I found mm-hmm. myself wondering about the play as much as I was following it.
1: Mm, interesting. Interesting. The. Um, I mean, one thing about. The uh why Rabbit Red Rabbit is that it is so different every night. Um uh because, as you say, it has this premise in which the and I think it I mean I do I will say I think it's more than a gimmick. Um
0: gimmick as a yeah. device is what I meant, really. Yeah. Sure, sure.
1: That the, the that uh that the actor is seeing it at the same time that the audience is because he he's doing something quite profound in changing the dynamic of the room in which the audience, the actor, the production is in control and is handing the audience something that's finished, that, that they know what it is, and the audience is receiving it sort of passively. Um, it creates, it's a, it's, a, it's a really different dynamic. And I understand what you're saying. I think when you say that you wind, you wind up thinking about what is going on in this room, because it's a room that, we've not been in before in a theater. And, um, so that to me, even when I heard about the show, yeah. um, I was like, Oh man, I hope it's good because this is perfect. Cause just, it, it only took someone to have that idea. It's not right. tied to new technology. It's just like, a, purely an innovation. And as it turns out, he does it, he does it really well. He does well enough that it's, you
0: know, gone all around the world. and Right, exactly. Uh, it is extremely popular. Um, yeah. I just wanted to augment what I was saying before by I'm, I'm a player at myself. Mm-hmm. And I always look at everything in terms of the text. And I ter- look at things in terms of what are the mechanics built into this work of words yeah. that is attempting to manipulate my sense of reality. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right, and um, I'm probably one of the worst people to go to a theater with because everybody else will love it, and I'll be going. Nyeh. Well, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, me too. Um, but I, I, I was, I was impressed with the, um, with the production and and with the the mechanism of that. You know, building on I mean, that.
1: Funnily, funnily enough, the production we can't. T- it's really like it does. It the machine does what it does. I think that I think the. Um, uh, um, Oh, God, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought because I felt bad for I interrupting. You, yeah. we- <laughs> <laughs> let's let's come
0: right, back so, to say, that. Go, I'm, I'm, I say wanna, building on that again, and I'll shut up. <laughs> okay, now, building on that. Um, again, stepping outside of comfort, uh, comfort zones and doing something that is highly atypical. You got Storm Country coming up, which yeah. is a headphone play. Hmm. Okay, first question is, what is a headphone play? Um, but where did this come from? And because I noticed you've got people walking about a mile. You've got a mobile yeah. audience. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I've seen and heard of before. I mean, uh, there, there are uh, uh, theaters and, and places that do this sort of thing. Um, but tell us about this. I mean, because obviously this is yeah. not people sitting in seats anymore.
1: It's not. It's not. And uh, even the time dive was mobile, but not like this. Um, so we've just uh we, we settled on headphone play, but then we realized, boy, um there are lots of plays now in theaters where people sit in theaters and wear headphones, and that's great and can be really interesting too. But this is really a walking play, an audio an an immersive audio walking play kind of deal where you, you meet at a place and there are a million ways to do these Audio, mobile, audience plays that, as you say, are starting to happen in a lot of places, especially Germany. Of course, the Germans, um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, we're so you in the, in our case. When, after much sort of examination, we decided um, uh, audience members will meet in a place um, at a time, be given uh, some objects. And uh some headphones, or they can have downloaded the 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 play to their own device of their liking, and then they press go and they walk and um everyone does hopefully the same walk uh, and you're just taken on a journey <clears throat> in our case into the history of the places that you're walking in, and also the fictions because The title comes from Tess of the Storm Country, which I think many uh, listeners might know is a a sort of famous Ithaca novel from 1909 uh, that was made into a bunch of silent movies uh, starring Mary – two silent movies starring Mary Pickford and uh, then two more movies after that. So it was really like – a hit novel of its time, and it was a story of the impoverished squatter uh, subsistence squatter fishermen who lived down in the area that is now the uh, inlet island, um, literally being looked down upon by the wealthy cornelians mm, up uh, on the
0: hill, yes up on the
1: hill exactly, mm. and this kind of dyna- and this dynamic that has been part of ithaca 's DNA since the get go. And um, it is a terrific fictional story in this very heightened turn-of-the-century melodrama uh, way. And um, so we really we take people through sort of flickers of this amazing melodramatic story from back in the day that happens right about in that area and then some of the things that have happened in that area since then, the things that... Um, haven't changed things that have changed, and um, so it's basically it's basically another time dive. It's a way, and I have done a couple of these walks myself. Uh, in one case, actually walking it, or in other cases, listening to it to them in the abstract. It's a great thing that this kind of work can do to sort of, as you walk through a neighborhood, be walking kind of down into. It's history mm. that, you know, through, um, the layers of what you're look behind the layers of what you're looking at now into the, the footsteps, if you will, of the people who walked in these places before. And it's, I mean, to, it's a, to me, it's really magical.
0: And again, it's, it it's sounds just, like such an immersive experience.
1: I think so. I think so. It's really. I mean, we're in the final days of mixing, and um, and it's really getting more and more kind of magical and yeah. transport. How difficult is the tech on this? Well, again, it's it's so different. It's we're really learning, you know, um, how to make a new kind of the kind of theater that none of us have made. Luckily, we had lots of we gave ourselves lots of time. We did, we, we you know, I think it was littered with people who watched some of the early versions and. It didn't go well. <laughs> so, been there. Um, so, yeah. so it's um um so it's been a long process to really to really groom it and perfect it and figure out how it works and and how we can best take an audience on this kind of journey and um uh and uh, you know it will it 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 it's I I'm very excited about it I'm very excited about its possibilities.
0: It sounds um, it's really adventurous. All you really, I think, need to worry about now is the weather.
1: Right, <laughs> we do need to worry about the weather. Mm. Well, and we worry like every theater person does about people showing up and buying the tickets.
0: <laughs> yeah, but most people, once you know, they they look at the weather and go, "It's raining," but at least it, the theater has a roof.
1: That's right. That's right. No, that's true. We'll definitely. Oh gosh, that's a good point, George. We'll put that on the. We'll put the rain date note on the on the on the ticket website because it is, it's a thing that you could do in a little, with a little occasional sprinkle, but you couldn't really do in the rain, rain. Right. Um, so, so yeah, like all, like all adventures,
0: it's, there are, it's, there it's, are risks. Mm-hmm. I also want to mention that it's written by Nick Salvato <laughs> uh, and Dr. Asha Stratford, who's also been a guest on on stage, off stage before. Um, so, <laughs> How long has this been in the works, uh, the writing works, actually?
1: Um, I'm going to say – I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I'm going to say that we started the conversation about six months ago. um, And they've both been working very intensively. Um, It's been, as I said, many times drafted and redrafted and recorded and walked and re-recorded
0: and and groomed. At least you're getting some exercise. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly
0: we got our air. cool i got two more questions for you and then i'll let you get back to real life um i noticed in your bio you work on new plays at the lark development center a name that uh, a lot of us are familiar with because we've been sending work to them for years <laughs> on end um how'd you get involved with them what do you do for them and why do you keep turning down my plays
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I have to say, I have. I every once in a while, again, I, I I I'm not a person. Only once or twice have I ever been on a Lark panel where I was one of the many readers of the many plays that come in for one of their many programs or awards. And I don't think I
0: read one of <laughs> them. Um, I, I, I was just so, kind I of love, kidding for that last one, but yeah. I know.
1: I love the. I love the. Um, I. I I don't know how I first got to be on their radar, except that I was a you know a, a director in New York who was working on a lot of new work and getting to know some new playwrights. And so I've directed a number of you know just the sorts of developmental readings they do there. Um, um, yeah, they're great. They're great people. I haven't I haven't worked there a while because I've been so up here. I, it, it's one of that New York space has been one of the casualties of my. Ithaca focus, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but yeah, they're good people. It's a, it's a great place. Okay, last, last couple of questions. I lied, there's two more, but they <laughs> go together. How many languages do you speak?
1: oh i speak um, I speak French pretty well. I grew up in Canada, learning that from uh, from very early age and then spent a year in France uh, in my undergrad and then um, And then also in college, I took a couple uh, a couple of years of Spanish sort of intensively, which then I only really got good at when, during this year uh, in uh, in buenos aires so so as a translator, which is a thing that i 'm increasingly loving doing i can for theater i uh i can translate from french pretty well um and from spanish i can with help i can sort of co-translate so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um that's been a whole new a whole new uh vista of artistic possibility that
0: was my next question you've uh, translated moliere's misanthrope into the <laughs> hater <laughs> right. um okay uh, first question why that play and what was the process like? I mean, how do you move from one language with its own cultural, verbal, um, you know, etymological uh, rhythms uh, and viewpoints right. to uh, standard United States English yeah. and still tell the same story? The w- Here's the kicker: the way the playwright <laughs> wants you to tell the story
1: right well that is i mean that's a big and awesome question the i think the fact especially over a distance of this many years um is that we're all guessing at the at what we think is the way the playwright would want us to tell the story now and i had um i mean my experience with the misanthrope was actually reading it it was assigned for some sort of thing some sort of app some sort of thing you apply for you have to read it and this was in my early 20s where you have to read it comment on how you would direct it and i was like god i was reading it going i feel like i was reading one of these cl- the classic translations feeling like i feel like i can see what this play really is but i um i hate the way it sounds it doesn't it's a- i mean honestly it felt like it was about <clears throat> the play about movie stars about like the 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 sexiest most powerful most glamorous people in a really shallow really brutal um uh like soul-killing uh, uh culture uh, of power that felt like hollywood it felt it felt like a really modern play about ba- and a ba- and kind of about the question of how would it be possible to be a functional member of that class of that sphere and still be an ethical person it seems to me like a super contemporary question um... But all of the translations made that, which were sort of full of forsooth and alas and ye gad, they all sounded, (laughs) you know, like they did not sound like powerful, sexy, you know, people. They sounded like fuddy-duddies. And I was positive. I was positive and remain positive that Moliere would not have wanted it to feel like that in English or in any language, in any culture. So, so so my feeling was and and maybe it came from being a director um first was that it was that the play would operate um uh better more as itself in an extremely fast modern um colloquial idiom and i didn't change the, the what turned out to be a really fun breakthrough was i didn't change it, it's really quite Close line for line accurate. It's just very the language is really contemporary. But then I didn't change things to um like I didn't change a sonnet into a mixtape or a CD or a, or whatever that contemporary.
0: <laughs> <police> <laughs> so in my age, there <laughs> Molière's mixtape. Ah,
1: Molière's mixtape. I mean, that seemed too obvious. I really wanted it still to be about the king and the Louvre and the uh, and all of that stuff, just right. spoken the way we would speak it. So. That that sort of got me kicked off on the whole translating kick.
0: It sounds like it's it's got to be fun. I mean, it's, my, my French is terrible. I know like six words. Um, <laughs> but I keep thinking about the mechanics of doing the actual translation and keeping the truth of the piece, and I mean not just what the words mean, but the intent and yeah. either the joy or the drama mm-hmm. um, intact. And I, I keep thinking, well, you're going from one culture to the next. So there's going to be a change of some kind, if it's going to be emotional, if it's going to be, um, uh, archetypical or whatever, how, you know, and thinking about that journey.
1: um, Like one thing that's interesting that I found, and I, this was a, this is a project that's many years in the past. And, um, so I haven't thought about it so much, but one thing I found, uh, at the time that was, uh, I actually wound up writing an introduction for it. It got published in a journal of um, theater translation. And uh, so I wrote a, a whole introduction because I had gotten some pushback from Moliere. Purists and traditionalists who felt like he just doesn't sound like this. Like I know what Moliere sounds like in English, and it isn't this. Where the fact is that what Moliere sounds like in English has changed so much over the over the mm. centuries, and it's also like not a thing. Like Moliere doesn't Moliere isn't in English. It's always only someone's best guess. So, um, so I wrote a uh, an essay that where I talked about, for example, that in the last century, the big thing has been. Translating Moliere, which is in rhymed couplets in French, into rhymed couplets in English, and for a couple of centuries that wow. was not done. That was, yeah. That and can and, you do that? You can, and in fact, it's almost all the. It's almost the only way it gets done now, and it. I'm here to tell you.
0: Because you have <laughs> to find people, rhyming people, words that a, mean the same as the original rhyming words. Yeah.
1: And and so I think people are attracted to that challenge, and um, and and bravo for the ability to simply get it done. And a lot of listen, I'm a lot of people love it. I find it to not work mm. dramatically. Um, uh, just as a as an audience member, as a director, I would rather I would rather focus on different things. All the things you listed: the the emotion, the humor, the argument, the stakes. I would rather have that come across really vividly. In my opinion, it suffers when right. you're having to jump through hoops to to um,
0: crowbar something in to make it fit.
1: Yeah, exactly. To make to find a yeah. rhyming word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's,
0: meter works differently in English, and there and doesn't
1: mm-hmm. rhyme all that stuff. So,
0: Sam McGallen, it has been fantastic having you here with us on on stage, off stage. This has been off. A- Fun interview, and I've had a great time. Thanks. I'm so glad. I wish you the best of luck with Storm Country, which I will see. I promise. Great. Good. Um, good. Okay. Tell us who you are, what your website is, and how can we look up both you and the cherry.
1: Uh, great. I'm Sam Bagellan and uh, my website is at uh, Begellen, And uh, uh, The Cherry Arts, the new company here in Ithaca that I direct, is at thecherry.org. Fantastic. Thank you so
0: much. Great. Thank you, George. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you like what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater that we haven't covered yet or know of someone else in the theater who'd make some really good chat, please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Our intro and outro music is Surf Far, Surf Good by the composer Steve Channon. You can hear more of his work on SoundCloud. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you.